0: Good morning, good news. My name is Jenna Fisher, and I am a part of our Super Sunday planning committee. Um, This is my small group on the screen. They somehow managed to take a picture while I was not there, so I should have Photoshopped myself in there. Um, One thing I really love about small group is when it comes time to open our word together as a small group, I get to hear everyone's perspective on what they got from the scripture, and it's just an awesome way to grow your faith. Um, Okay, if you're new or visiting today, a special welcome to you guys. You chose the right place to be on a Sunday morning. In the seat backs in front of you, there's a Connect card. So if you could fill that out and put as much or as little information as you're comfortable with putting, that'd be great. There's also an option um, to have lunch with a pastor. So if that's something you're interested in, you can check that off and then put the Connect cards in the black boxes at the exit. Um, Okay, discover good news. So on August 16th and August 19th, there is Discover Good News. So if you've been coming to Good News and would like to make good news your church home, this class is for you. This is um, everything about good news, the ins and outs of good news, why we believe what we believe. Um, child care is provided, so if that's something you're interested, go ahead and also mark that on your Connect card. Super Sunday. Okay, so every fifth Sunday um, that we have, we are doing Super Sunday. So this month is Super Sunday Cookout. So it's like a 50s casual theme. It says 50s casual wear. If you want to wear that, great. If not, it's going to be like a sweltering 400 degrees um, with maybe some rain. But rain or shine, we're going to be out there. We're going to be in the gym eating some good food. We are providing burgers, hot dogs, and buns and condiments and all that stuff. So if you notice on the screen, there's actually a QR code. Um, we are getting all technologically advanced here at Good News. So if you want to um, shine that, shine that. Cool. Scan. Thank you, Beth Bertil. Love ya. Okay, so if you want to scan that and um, sign up to bring something, we need tomatoes, pickles, onions, sides. We're providing lots of stuff. So if you are coming, please bring something um, to share with 10 to 12 people. Okay, we're going to have water slides, slip-in slides, a water gun fight, a red, white, and blue water gun fight. So if you want to just annihilate everyone in a water gun fight. Come wearing white and you will be well prepared for that. Um, and if you don't want to get wet, no worries. We have um, cornhole, hillbilly golf. We have lots of yard games to play. Um, this is an awesome opportunity to invite um, a friend, a family, a co-worker um, to just kind of plant that seed and get their foot in good news a little bit more. Okay, beach night. Student ministry is kicking off with a beach night at the pier. We've actually reserved. Reserved. Reserved volleyball court. (laughs) So you can play volleyball. Food is provided. Um, Just bring a beach chair and a towel. And I was told to tell you guys, especially the students, modest is hottest. So keep that in mind when you're dressing. You know, anyways, I'm going to leave it at that. I'm going to pray for Strider as he comes on up. Dear Jesus, thank you for today, Lord. Lord, thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and freely worship you. Lord, I pray for Strider that his words will be spirit-led and spirit-filled, Lord, and that you will soften our hearts, too, responding to the truth. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
1: Amen. Thanks, JB. Modest, <laughs> modest is hottest. I learned that. I laughed really hard when she said that at the 9 a.m. I've never heard that before. Uh, how are we doing? Normally, I drink decaf in the mornings, but in the mornings that I preach, I drink caffeine. So I don't know if it's the Holy Spirit or the caffeine talking, but I'm ready to go, and I hope you are too, because I... I need, I, I'm going to ask you for, for something. I'm going to ask you for interaction. No, this is not a trick. Yes, this is real. I promise you, we're going to do some stuff. I'm going to ask you some questions, and I'm actually looking for responses. There are rewards. There are treats for those of you brave enough to participate with me. You don't have to come up here. You can stay in your seats, but we are going somewhere this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. This year, we've been walking through First, and now we're in Second Timothy, and asking the question: uh, How do we, how do we engage, uh, be equipped, become better at this work, uh, this calling in which God has given us to make disciples? And so we're in Second Timothy, chapter two. Uh, always a good idea to bring your Bible. I want you to I want you to read and to interact with God's word for yourself. If you don't have one, you can follow along on the screen. But as you are. As you are turning there, I actually have a picture that I would like to show you. Uh, a friend sent me this picture this week, and, uh, and he asked me a question, which I'm going to now ask you the same question, and here's the part where you're going to participate with me in just a second, not right away, but in just a second. The question that my friend asked me, and maybe we can dim the lights. Can you see the picture? Okay. The, the question that my friend asked me was, uh, Strider, which I'm now going to ask you, good news, what do you see when you look at this picture. And what I want you to do is I want you to look at the picture and I want to—I want you to turn to the person beside you or near you and I want you to tell them what you see in the picture. And we're gonna give you some thinking music, I think Luke has got that, and uh, give you a few seconds to do this. What do you see in the picture? if you can bring those house lights back up for me i need a few you don't have to you can stay where you are but i need a few brave volunteers to raise their hand and tell me either what you saw or what you heard someone tell you that they saw in the picture we're going to felicia in the back speak loud i can't hear you i'm 41 now jesus running to the cross did i get it right yes okay logan uh, catch this! Don't blow. this is our new student ministry. This is your moment, Logan. I did not realize. <clears throat> I did not realize, man, That I am going to do this to you. This is our new student ministry director. I'm going to throw you a Reese's cup. It's probably going to be my fault if you don't catch it because I. The first service was they were just all over the place. But your job is to catch this and then pass it back to Felicia. Don't blow it. Here you go. Oh! You want another? You want another try? Here. You want another try? Here we go. Okay. <laughs> Smart man. Gosh. Now forever we have a story to tell about Strider. Remember when you Anyways. Okay. Jesus running to the cross. That's what you said, right? What you saw? Okay. Uh somebody else. Aiden Plumley. Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one. Jesus leaving the 99 to find the one. Here's your opportunity in front of everybody. Good catch. Happy 18th birthday, by the way. Okay. Uh I think that's PG2. Peyton Greco back there, what do, you, what do you see? You're gonna have to be super, you're gonna have to yell it, Peyton. A lost sheep. Okay, Bug, here we go. Coming to you. Yeah! All right, how about this side of the room? I've got lots of participation. Steve, what do you see? Myself. Wow. You see, when you look at that picture, you see yourself. I love that answer, okay. Coming to you, that's a short-armed, it. I short-armed it. And a bounce! Oh, planned it just like we planned it and practice it. Wow, I love that. You would think that throwing Reese's into the audience would be a super simple thing, but actually, it's really, really difficult. Um, this morning, this morning, Paul, you really, you, yeah, you got your hand up. I cannot deny you. One more time. Uh, Jesus, Lamb of God. Jesus, Lamb of God. I love that. Okay, ready? Here we go. Oh, that's a little bit left. Okay, good. All right, here we go. So this morning. I want you to keep that picture, I want you to keep that picture in mind. Uh, we're actually going to come back to it as we, uh, as we talk through this. But we're looking at <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7 together. Um, and so let me do that now. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1, if you would read along with me. It says You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. And then verse 7. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. For the next four weeks, we're going to look at these seven verses. Uh, We're we're just going to stay here, and we're going to look at this from a couple of different angles. Um, But I want you to pay attention to verse 7, real quick. Uh, Paul writes to Timothy think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. As believers, we read God's word, we think about it, we ask for understanding, and then we do it over and over and over again. We read God's word, we think about it, we ask him for his understanding, which is a promise that if we think, he will give us understanding over and over and over again. So that's what we're going to be thinking about this passage. We're going to be thinking about together over the next four weeks. But this morning, what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at verses one and two. And so I'm going to read those again, and then I'm going to pray. You don't have to read with me, but I'm going I'm to pray after, we read, after I read these together. Starting again in verse 1, it says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Let me pray. Jesus, we're here because we want to think about your word. And you promised to give us understanding. And so we pray that that would be true. Give us understanding as to what you mean when you say be strengthened. Give us understanding as to how that strength is found in grace and how grace is found in Christ Jesus. For this work, for this calling, for this purpose to which you have given us of entrusting to faithful men the things in which we have heard. Would you make that be true for me would you make that be true for us? And we ask this in the name of Jesus, amen. Verse one, you then, my child, be strengthened. This passage is, um, starts with a command. And Paul tells Timothy, calls him my child, because Paul has invited Timothy into the ministry. And it's a, it's a little bit unclear as to what role Paul played in Timothy's salvation, as in in not himself, but in preaching the gospel, because he, he talks about his grandmother, and he talks about Timothy's mother, who have passed on their faith to him. But Paul seems to be somewhere in the mix of this, and he's definitely included him in the work of planting churches and making disciples around the world. So he writes, Timothy, my child, be strengthened. And there's this command of be strengthened. And then Paul's going to get real specific, and this is what we're talking about this today. Paul's going to get real specific to be strengthened for this work of entrusting two faithful men. And then for the rest of the passage, he goes on and says, this work is like that of a soldier, that of an athlete, and that of a farmer. And so as I was thinking about, you know, standing here before you guys today, I asked, I know some athletes, I know some soldiers, I don't know any farmers, I don't think. Forgive me if you are a farmer and I didn't realize that. But I asked them a few questions this week just in trying to get some feedback for for today. And so I asked them the question. uh, I started with the athletes and I said, what is the purpose of strength either in your sport or in your line of work or your profession or just in your hobby, what is the purpose of strength? And I asked as many people as I could think about. The college football player responded and said, strength is incredibly important because I play on the offensive line and my job is to physically move human beings from one location to another. And so we're constantly thinking about st- our bo- how can we strengthen every part of our body to be able to do that more effectively. I don't, want to be able to, I don't want somebody else to be able to move me, and I certainly want to be able to push people out of the way. That's what the football player said. The college runner said, I'm constantly thinking about cardiovascular strength. Yes, like bicep curls and, and planks and leg lifts, all that stuff's important, but what I'm primarily focused on is I want a strong heart and that goes right along with I want strong lungs. Because when I get to the finish line, I want to be powering through the finish line, not running out of the gas, running out of gas. So I'm constantly thinking about cardiovascular and lung strength. The physical therapist is thinking I want strength because I want to help people prevent injury. And so there they're working out themselves Because they actually want to model strength for someone else, and then they want to show up and teach someone else how to build strength to be able to just function through life. The basketball player, the professional basketball player told me what I think about when it comes to strength is injury prevention too. Sure, it'd be nice to be able to jump higher so I can finish at the rim, but I want I want to participate and play for 10 months because that's my job. And so I'm constantly thinking about injury management and taking steps to, uh, to prevent that. The, the, the kid, I'll say kid, the, the, the men who uh, are competitive gamers are thinking about a different kind of strength. They're thinking about mental strength. So when they sit down at the computer whether they recognize it or not they're thinking how do i bring how do i bring the best possible attitude that will produce the best possible outcome because i know that the number one factor when you participate when you're playing with other people and participating in competitive video games is a good attitude so how do i bring a good attitude how do i lift my teammates and then also they're thinking what happens when things don't work out the way they Wanted to. That's what the professional golfer is thinking about too. Yeah, the dudes that you watch on the PGA Tour, man, they're, they're incredibly physically strong. But the reason, my dad told me this, the reason that, the, that those guys are thinking about physical strength is because they want their mental game to be strong. They want to they walk up and they want to be able to walk and finish 18 holes and not be in their mind thinking about, man, I'm tired. They want their mind to be focused on, I want to hit the ball right where I'm looking. Is Paul talking about, when he says to Timothy, be strengthened? Is he talking about physical strength? Is he talking about mental strength? You know, there's other kinds of strength that I hear people talk about. I hear people talk about, I want to be emotionally strong because my mom's going through some stuff and I want to be there for her. My husband's going through some stuff, and I need to be there for him. And so I I don't know how to muster this. I don't know where the strength is going to come from, but I need strength to be able to give that away. I hear some of you talk about and, and, and are consciously thinking about, I need to have a strong immune system. And so you make decisions about when you go to bed and when you wake up in the morning and what you put in your body and what you don't put in your body because you are constantly thinking about your immunity. A person in my line of work is thinking about spiritual strength. Man, i got to stand up on Sunday, and, and I, want, I want the Holy Spirit to show up. And I want to be, I want to be, I want to go first. I want to model for people what it looks like to find strength in Jesus. And the thing that I realized as I'm talking to all these people and I think about myself, and I think this is true for the majority of us, is that whether we realize it or not, every one of us in this room is thinking about some kind of strength, either consciously or subconsciously, every single day. Because we just wake up in the morning, and when you look in the mirror, and when, you, when your feet hit the floor, you are reminded over and over again of your weakness of your deficiency, of your need. And so we are in a culture who is obsessed with strength. So when Paul says to Timothy, be strengthened, what kind of strength is he talking about? The context for the kind of strength Paul is is telling Timothy is found in a key word in the second verse, and it's the word entrust. So Paul says, Timothy, be strengthened, which is a command, for this task of entrusting. What does it mean to entrust? The word simply means to give someone responsibility for, ownership of, something precious or important. You're going to entrust something valuable, something precious to someone else, And so what is Paul saying? Timothy, you you are to entrust this. He says, entrust these things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. So he's saying, Timothy, everything that's in this letter, entrust that to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. But more than that, think about everything that I have said. Because You have been saved. You have been entrusted with this gospel. And your work, and I think this is where the implications come in for us your work, your calling is to entrust this gospel, everything that I have said to other people. And so be strengthened is primarily about soul strength. Because the work of entrusting is hard. That work requires prayer and preparation. It inquires, requires an ability to, to teach these things. And that is hard work. Matter of fact, Paul is going to use, describe the soldier, the athlete, and the farmer as a way to say, this is what this work requires and is like and, is, and costs But Timothy, be strengthened for this work of entrusting. Did you know that if you are in Christ Jesus, that you and I have also been entrusted with this gospel? And we are commanded to pass that on to other people. We also know, Nehemiah 8.10 says this, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. So Timothy, be strengthened. As Paul writes this, he writes this in the second person passive voice. And somehow I have become a grammar nerd in the midst of all the work that I do, and it's so funny because I was a journalism major in college, uh, didn't like any of it, and I had to take this grammar slammer test in order to be able to graduate. And I think I had to take it three times, and I thought, I will never use this ever again. I'll never use grammar. In my... Don't you know, every time I come to scripture, I'm thinking about grammar. Second person pass it. Here's why this matters. Paul is telling Timothy, when I say be strengthened, it's not like the world tells you. The world tells you, here's your weakness, go fix it. The world tells you, here's your weakness, you can do it. The gospel tells us, here's your weakness, you can't do anything about it. And so when Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, be strengthened, The context of this second-person passive voice means that this strength comes from outside of ourselves. And interestingly, there's a command. It's, It's be strengthened, and yet this strength comes from outside of ourselves. And so there's this dance of God is the strengthener, and we, in our weakness... And our shortcomings are called to participate in that. Timothy, be strengthened. Recognize that this strength is a person and it's not you, it comes from outside. Be strengthened. When you realize, when you realize that Jesus is is the source of strength. Guess what it produces? Joy. And so, be strengthened. What kind of strength? Primarily a soul strength. But you know what happens when your soul is strengthened? Your face shows it. It gives you life and energy to accomplish the good works that the Lord has laid in front of you to do. It impacts This soul strength impacts every other part of you. So be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Second question we ought to ask is how is grace in Christ Jesus? We see this little phrase written over, if you've been reading through the New Testament you, you, and you stop and think about it, you've actually seen this phrase repeated over and over and over again as you read through this. Grace that is in Christ Jesus. So how is grace in Christ Jesus? What does Paul mean by that as he writes to Timothy and as he writes to us? We're gonna back up. You don't need to turn anywhere in your Bible. We're gonna back up to the first chapter We're going to read verses 9 and 10. I'm actually going to read verse 8 because 9 kind of picks up uh, like mid-thought, and so it just doesn't make as much sense. But it's not on the screen. I'm just going to read verse 8, and then we're going to look at verses 9 and 10 together. And we're asking the question, how is grace in Christ Jesus? Here we go. 2 Timothy 1, 8, 9, 10. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering For the gospel, by the power of God, here we go, verse 9, "...who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace." Not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace." that the word grace literally means undeserved favor. Matter of fact, you can take it one step further and you can say that grace is ill-deserved favor. Which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. We're going to come back to that. And which has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel? Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, meaning you have nothing to do with your salvation and your calling. You have been called, and that is a holy calling. And that is simply by a a means and a work of grace. Undeserved, ill-deserved favor. And when did that happen? Y'all don't, don't miss this. Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Now here's the crazy part. Pay attention to this which he gave us. Here's the phrase again. Grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. And when, when did he give us this grace? When did he give us this calling? This is nuts. Before the ages began. Translation, before anything was created, God put a plan in place to save us and to call us to a holy calling, and that is a work of grace. Because God understood that his people would not have the ability, would not have in and of themselves to save themselves and to make themselves holy. And so he put a plan in place before anything was created. That is what this passage teaches us. And it's all through this power, as God exerts it himself, of grace. And then, he manifested it. He planned it, and then he brought it to completion. Looking at verse 10. How did God complete this? Through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ. That God planned before all creation to save and to call his people to a holy calling. And then he sent his son, God in the flesh, born of a woman who lived 33 years. And those 33 years are incredibly important because what Jesus is doing is he is fulfilling the work that God gave him to do that you and I could not accomplish for ourselves. He lived a sinless life, and then he climbed on a cross and took the penalty that you and I deserved because when you and I look at our works and hold them up to Jesus, we recognize how sinful and how broken and how needy we are. We would be foolish to think that we could hold up our lives, our broken cisterns before God and say, hey, God, this is enough for me. I hope it's enough for you. That plan won't work, not by works, but by his grace and his purpose. So Jesus climbs on the cross and becomes, as Second Corinthians describes it, literally becomes sin and dies in the place that you and I deserve. That he becomes sin. And when that happens, coming back to verse 10, death is abolished. Sin is abolished. Jesus makes a way for his people who cannot work themselves, earn themselves into this saving and this calling. He makes it possible. And that happens through the appearing of Jesus Christ. That's what it means that grace is in Christ Jesus. That everything that Jesus is and everything that Jesus did and everything that Jesus does, that's what we think of when we think about being strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Here's my question before the house this morning. Do you know for certain That you have eternal life. Because this makes it abundantly clear how we can be sure that we have eternal life. Our part, our part is to admit that our good works don't work. And y'all, to be honest, this takes strength, but it ain't your strength, it's an outside source of strength. It takes strength to admit, I'm broken. I'm weak. Everything in the world wants to tell you, don't do it. Don't admit your weakness. Don't admit your need. But the gospel calls you to it. That we admit that and then we look to Jesus to say, I am trusting in you and in your works and in your perfection because you have promised that if I put my faith and trust in you, I will be saved. And then, because there's an outside source of strength, we commit to following Jesus. But we can't even do that on our own either. We need his strength to follow him. Have you done that? I don't want you to walk away from this morning not experiencing God's grace. I'm going to show you this picture again. Not going to play music this time, but here's the picture. When you look at this picture, what do you see? Has something changed? Think about what other people have said, think about what you've heard. When you look at this picture, what do you see? I have more Reese's. Anybody see anything different? Think, listen carefully before, Trish, before you are too eager. Anybody see anything different than when they first looked at the picture? Still got your hand up, Trish? All right. I see Jesus isn't walking, but he is running. Amen. Find the lost. Can you catch? We're going to find out. Oh, Heidi Clay help! Good catch, Heidi Clay. Matt, that we are not able to help ourselves. Short-armed it. Georgina. That he will never forsake us. us. Oh, short-armed that one too. Good catch though. Trevor, last one. we We are lost no matter which direction we go. Try not to hit the lights. Oh, shorty again. <clears throat> Next question we got to ask from our text is how does how does this grace that is in Christ Jesus how does it strengthen? And here's what I learned this week. And then I'm I, th- I knew it but I'm I'm learning it, I'm applying it. When I think about when I think about grace, my immediate my immediate thought is it is undeserved favor, which it is. But is grace simply a characteristic of God? That God, when he looks at us, that he's nice, that he's forgiving, that he is filled with grace, which he absolutely is. But is that all grace is? And what I've come to realize is that grace is not only pardon, but it is a power. Because as Paul writes this to Timothy... He uses this Greek word and the Greek word is dunamis. So when he says be strengthened he is literally saying in en dunamis. Endowed with power. Timothy, this is a command, but it's second person passive. So keep that in mind. But be endowed with power. There is power, there is grace. It is a person, it is outside of you, but you're commanded to obey this, to be strengthened, to participate with this, but be endowed with power. Grace is both pardon and it is power for the believer. We're gonna look at a couple verses of scripture and hopefully bring this to light. But the question is, how does grace strengthen Uh, It'll be up on the screen. Don't feel the need to to turn here in your Bible, because we're going to come back to this passage real quick. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 6. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. You guys are seeing that in the picture, that Jesus is running to us, no matter, Trevor, which direction we turn. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses. You know, the Bible describes sinful people not as bad people that need to be made good. You know, he describes it as dead people. That we were dead in our trespasses, comma, made alive together with Christ. That what dead people need is to be made alive by the grace exerted by God. And then Paul, when you look at this in the Greek, it's like there's parentheses. Like it's, it's, it's like Paul said, hey, I, I want to throw this in here. Like if you didn't read this next little phrase, the sentence or the phrase before it would connect to the sentence after it. But Paul says, by grace you have been saved. By grace. How does grace strengthen us? By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. That scripture describes grace as power. But it also describes the Holy Spirit. It also describes Jesus. It also describes God's word. It also describes the gospel as power. I think about Acts chapter 1, 8, but you will receive power, same word, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to all the ends of the earth. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, dunamis, for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Excuse me. Let's look at um, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Ephesians tells us we are saved by grace. 2 Corinthians 9, 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. That all grace is given to us so that we have sufficiency. We have everything that we need. And why? So that we might abound in every good work. Grace gives us power to please God to do good works. One more verse. 1 Corinthians 15.10. Paul again writes, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked. Here's this balance of outside source of strength, and yet Paul is saying, I worked. But I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So Paul talks about working, but he realizes that his efforts are not his own. It is grace. It is this power exerted by Christ working in him, through him, sometimes even in spite of him. How does grace strengthen? It is power for those who are experiencing grace in Christ Jesus. Last question. How do we experience this grace producing this strength for these efforts of entrusting the gospel to people? I heard a story by uh, Randy Pope. Uh, Randy is a retired PCA pastor uh, uh, from Atlanta and pastored a church called Perimeter there for a long, long time. And he tells the story of being a uh, young man working for the church and being on staff with another guy who was not much older than him. And as Randy observed this guy's life, he noticed that this guy seemingly lived dead to the things of the world and alive to Christ. And so Randy decided, I'm going to go to this guy, and just, I'm just going to ask him his, his secret. Would you tell me would you tell me how you, live, how, how you do this?" And so the guy asked him a question, and he said, "Randy, do you do push-ups?" And Randy's like. Yeah, I do push-ups every single day. I don't, you can tell. Randy, do you do push-ups? How many many push-ups can you do? And so Randy, you know, gave him a number. And he goes, okay, don't sandbag it. Like, what is your maximum number of push-ups? If I ask you to get down on the floor right now and do the most amount of push-ups that you possibly can do, what is that number? Randy tells him the number. He goes, okay, let's imagine, let's imagine that I ask you to get down and I ask you to, do that number of push-ups. And when you get to your last one, you are pressing and straining and shaking and you do it. And then I lean down and I whisper in your ear, Randy, I'll give you a million dollars if you can do one more push-up. You think you'd try it? And Randy said, of course I would try it. He said, what do you think will happen? He said, well, probably adrenaline kicks in at that point, and I'd go down, and somehow I would find the strength to do that push-up, because it's for a million dollars. And so the guy goes, let's imagine just for a second that I actually have a million dollars, and that's, and that's true, and you do that push-up. And then I bend down again, and I whisper in your ear, I'll give you $5 million if you can do one more push-up you think you'd try it, Randy? And Randy goes, absolutely, I would try that. So the guy goes, what do you think would happen if you tried that push-up? He said, Randy, I'll tell you what would happen. By the time your arms bent, your chest would just give out, and you would hit the ground. And you would try to push yourself up that floor, but you would have nothing left. And you would look up at me, and you would say to me, I can't do it. And then he said, Randy, when you get to the point in your Christian life where you're willing to say, I can't do it, that is when grace and power enters your life. How do we experience this grace producing this kind of strength for these efforts. Our first step is to admit, I can't. And I was reminded of that this week. You know, the, the, uh, the practice of or the, or the task of standing up before people to preach the Word of God will put you in a place very, very quickly where you realize that you can't, that you are not enough, and, and one of the gifts, one of the gifts that we receive as we realize that we've been entrusted with passing this gospel on to the people where we live, work, and play, one of the gifts in that is to very quickly realize, and some of you sit here and, and know it right away, that you can't. And so if you're here on Sunday mornings and you hear us talk about our purpose is to make disciples together, and your response to that is, I can't do it, you are probably closer to making disciples than anybody else in this room. Because some of us hear that and go, I can do that. And boy, we can't. Our first step, not only for our salvation, but in our life with Christ, is to recognize, realize, and admit that we can't do it. The second thing is that you and I look to Jesus because grace is a person. And that person is an outside source of strength living within us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. And we look to Jesus and we remember everything that he is, everything that he did, everything that he does. We look to Jesus and lastly, we trust that that when we think about starting our day and you, what I've learned this week, you start your day thinking about some kind of strength. Our invitation is to think about soul strength. So when you start your day, you remember that. What's really helpful is to have a reading plan that is designed for an entire church along with your small groups, along as an individuals, that will bring you to the place every single morning where you admit that you can't and receive grace. And sh- Wouldn't it be great if we had a plan for that? Pick up a study. We're about to finish 1 Corinthians. When you read it this week, there will be things that you come across that you will need to stop and go, that doesn't make any sense. And you will need to think about it. You will need to ask people in your small group, help me understand some of this. But if you, if you will come to the source of strength with a spirit and ability to to admit, I am weak, I can't, I need you, guess what Jesus loves to do? He loves to show up in those moments and provide what only he can. Last verse of scripture and then we'll be done. Paul says it like this. This is 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Here's my, plan. Here's my plan for the week, and I want to invite you to do the same. My plan for the week is to wake up in the mornings and to read these two verses of Scripture as I start my day thinking about grace and strength. Paul writes, verse 9, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, For my power, dunamis, is made perfect in weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. It requires a recognition of weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power, dunamis, of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The believer runs to the world and does not scream, I am strong. The believer runs to the world and says, I am weak. But I have experienced grace like I've never known before. One more time when you look at this picture I'm not going to ask you to respond this time when you look at this picture what do you see? when I responded to my friend's question I I wrote I see Jesus running to one of his lost sheep and the more and more I looked at this picture the more and more I saw what Steve saw I see Jesus running toward me. This week, we celebrate one person who experienced that for the very first time. What do you see when you look at that picture? Let's pray. Jesus, Lord, we are weak. We are needy. Not only do we need you to be saved, we need you to do that work on our behalf. Lord, you've called us with the holy calling and you call us to participate. You, you command that and yet you say, because of the way that it was written, that we're not able to accomplish or do that on our own. And you say that our part is to just continue to admit, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so, right now, We repent. And if you need to say to God, Jesus, I can't, and name something specific, you do that right now. Because repentance is simply changing our thinking and realigning it with the truth of God's word. And so we come to you and say, We can't. And we also come to you and say, We long to be strengthened by the grace that is in you. And so help us to know the grace that is found in you. And we pray this in your name, Jesus.